to me, it's really about are the lights in our kids' eyes on? And a lot of us have these bright-eyed kids, and when they get to early adolescence, preteen adolescence, it starts to fade. And it could fade for hormonal reasons, for social reasons, for academic reasons. But really, it's about trying to sidle up next to them physically or actually metaphorically and help them figure out what is going on in their life so they can keep stepping in a direction that they are engaged in. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. This week, I'm bringing back Dr. Dan Peters, a psychologist, executive director of the Summit Center, co-founder of the Parent Footprint Awareness Training, and the author of the From Worrier to Warrior books, and one of my favorite experts to talk with about all things parenting. For those who remember my previous episode with Dan, and for those who missed it, I highly recommend it, and I will link to it in the show notes. But you'll know he is passionate about parenting with purpose and intention. And in today's episode, we're focusing on the teen years. This is another timely topic as many of us find ourselves suddenly spending a lot more time with our teens. And while we weren't anticipating a future of sheltering in place when we recorded this just a few weeks ago, Trust me that Dan is exactly the voice of encouragement we all need right now. In our conversation, Dan shares so much wisdom, not just from his practice, but from the trenches as a parent of teens himself. We talk about what are the most important developmental tasks during the teen years, how to support our teens with those tasks without being overbearing, how and why to resist the urge to focus on grades, what are differently wired teens really need from us, and more. Okay, now here is my conversation with Dr. Dan. Hey, Dan, welcome to the podcast. Great to be back, Debbie. Yeah, I should have said welcome back to the podcast. It's been yeah, it's been a little while, but you and I have been in touch, so it doesn't seem like it's been that long. But could you take a few minutes just to reintroduce yourself to my listeners? I, I talk about your work a lot and certainly refer people to uh, your practice. But could you just tell us a little bit about who you are? Absolutely. Um, so I am a licensed psychologist by training and work. And I am the executive director of our center called the Summit Center in California, um, predominantly in Northern California with a office in Southern California as well. And our goal is to help children, adolescents, families, and adults reach their developmental potential, like fully, fully become who they are meant to be. And with that, a specialty of ours, in addition to working with learning differences um, and anxiety and other emotional developmental issues, is focusing on gifted and twice exceptional individuals, all of those wonderful neurodiverse people with amazing potential. So we do a lot of testing and consulting and counseling for those folks. And I, the other part of my life is working on the Parent Footprint podcast, which um, you have been a guest and are going to be a guest soon as well again, which I'm excited about. And that mission and goal is to make the world a more loving place, one parent and one child at a time. So good. So good. And I'm so excited about this conversation because... Well, I mean, you know, this is kind of a personal thing for me, too. So I I will benefit greatly from this conversation. But this is something that really comes up everywhere that I speak to groups of parents, especially as our differently wired kids get older, and they're in the later middle school years or in high school, and the pressure for everybody just seems to ramp up. And it's a really confusing time, because we really want them to be autonomous, but we also feel like there's so much at stake. So I want to talk about that today. Like I want to really just get into what our role is in our child's journey as they move through this phase and the stakes feel so high. So I'm even just wondering within your practice, is this something that clients come to you talking about? Is this a big theme in your work? Oh, huge. It's huge. It's, um, 
it's all the time. I mean, we work with kids of all ages, but a, a lot of adolescents and um, pre-adolescents, adolescents, and then young adults and people going off to college. And of course, this whole thing about getting them ready to go off to college and when, you know, when does it have to happen and where are they going to go? Um, and then, as you know, since we, um, I feel fortunate sharing with you um, our own parenting journey when we get to, to meet up is just with my own uh, teenagers, young adults. It's, it's, it's just ever present for my wife and I. So uh, this is a very um, poignant topic. Yeah. And I just will say, too, that it's something that we are living, living it to give it. Like we're talking about this because we are in this too, that there, there, I don't think there ever comes a point where we're immune from facing the same challenges or stressors that our listeners are experiencing. Right. And I think it just makes it the, the life and the work more rich. And boy, does it keep me honest in the sense of, um, wow, every time I think I've had every sort of um, differently wired parenting lesson, a new one comes. Yeah. <laughs> Just from like, all right, all right, we've done it all. We're good. Okay. And then, oh, didn't see that one coming. So yeah. it's just, it's an evolving process. Indeed. I can very much relate to that. So I guess let's talk about, let's just talk about teens to start with, especially differently wired teens. What kind of things when they're in the high school years are they struggling with the most, you know, when it comes to their future, you know, where, what, what are they thinking about and what are they most concerned about? Hmm. Yeah, I can go a few different directions in that. So, so one thing that the, from a challenge perspective, themes are executive functioning, just managing everything um, and managing it well. Another one is social, of course, how the challenge of um, being, there's social challenges for neurotypical kids these days with uh, technology and such, and then being differently wired or neurodiverse that can present additional challenges. Uh, Where do you fit? You know, where, where do you belong, who you are? And then there's technology and screens, which are this whole other thing that we're all dealing with, particularly when you have really bright kids who like to dive deep into things, whether it's video games or it's research or Reddit or um, creating. It's still often technology-based. And then finally, sleep is a huge problem these days, whether kids are spending too much time on their schoolwork because they have a lot and they're taking too many challenging classes, AP classes, because they have to to get into this great school or they procrastinate because of the executive functioning issues um, or they're sucked into their screens and they're staying up late at night when they should be sleeping. So those are like, on the one hand, those are the challenges that I'm seeing regularly. And then if you pan over to, okay, but what are they thinking about? That's actually a really tough one. And I think it depends because sometimes, depending on the child, the teenager, they're focused on different things. So sometimes they're just completely overwhelmed with everything that they have and they are getting sucked into escapism through enjoyment activities like video gaming and screens and the social connection through that. Other times, they're completely preoccupied with their future and their GPA and have unfortunately bought into the hype that we're all giving them about the limited amount of schools with the limited, um, with the very low admission rates and the need to be at these schools with a very high GPA or they're not going to have a good future. So I, I just threw a lot out there, but I, it, it, those are the themes that I'm seeing some, so far. And then again, I guess one more thing is, unfortunately... When you have children who are anxious or depressed, they're just trying to get by, right? And then it just becomes about a day-to-day situation. Right, right. And if we were to look at the high school years, you know, because, yeah, you touched upon executive functioning, the social challenges, tech, and then sleep, and those I'm like, yep, check, check, check. And those seem to me to be the things that parents are probably preoccupied with and that we are concerned about and really feeling feeling like, oh, gosh, we need to solve all of these issues and, you know, help my child really have a grip on them all or else, you know, and then insert whatever future fears, you know, we, we each have. And so, you know, if we were to take a step back and look at high school as a, as a time in any kid's life, what is it really about? You know, 
ideally, what would be our goal for our child during that time of life? Oh, great question. I think ideally, it would be about them learning to to step into themselves and being able to learn about who they are, what they care about, be able to explore their interests, um, learn skills like time management and planning. I mean, I mean, those are all really important things. Um, there would be an emphasis on meaningful work as opposed, you know, quality over quantity. And there would be, I would say that the evaluation process would be meaningful at times as a suppose as opposed to more factory based. And and finally, it would be a time where people are excited and have time to figure out what's next as opposed to being anxious about what's next and feeling like they might not have the possibilities or the opportunities that they would want because of all of the stress related to grades and transitioning to college. Right. Oh, I love I love that vision. And it seems like even parents who maybe kind of wrap their head around that and might be really on board with that when it comes to high school again the stakes feel so high. Many of us find ourselves getting sucked into this overemphasis on grades or on making your resume look good or finding the right mentor or um, getting an internship or being in student government or all of these things. And I'm just wondering, why do you think parents do that? Why do you think so many of us get distracted almost and, and find ourselves unwittingly emphasizing things that aren't actually the things that would benefit our kids the most? Um, because we're being told by our little micro society and culture and also the macro one that that's what is needed, mm. right? So we have to give ourselves a break. And um, I know, I mean, being in this field and being talking to people like you and others who are always trying to figure out how to raise healthy people and doing all the reading and going to the conferences... I can't get maybe more information than I do. And still, it is so hard to resist these worries and these and these pressures of, okay, what is your child doing to prepare themselves on paper? What is their GPA? Are they going to take the ACT or SAT? And who are they going to who are they going to um, tutor with? And is it going to be individual, really expensive or group? And we know that many of our differently wired people do much better one to one than in large group settings. Um, are they going to work with a college counselor? Who's going to mentor them? And it's like, it's all the focus on the stuff and no focus on how does your child feel about themselves? How confident is your child? Does your child, what's your child into right now? What drives your child? Where do they see, how are they enjoying or not enjoying their life right now? What changes do we need to make so they are healthy people? And it's just, it's like that's on the back page that we don't, aren't able to turn the page because we're stuck on the resume and all of the, the checkpoints that we're supposed to tick off for our kid to be, air quote, successful in the future. So how do we avoid that trap? You know, I, I'm thinking of uh, Ned Johnson and Bill Sticksrude's book, The Self-Driven Child, which I probably refer to at least every third episode, but it's really about helping our kids develop their own sense of, you know, autonomy and having control over their lives and finding what lights them up and trusting that that is going to motivate them to create, you know, the life that is best for them. And and I love that and I'm trying to practice that very much and I know as I know a lot of parents are and there it just feels like it's always this tightrope, you know, when should we be pushing mm -hmm. Do grades matter? Do they not matter? You know, I'm just even curious on, on your thoughts about that, yeah. about grades. So let's, um, let, let me ask, try to hit the first part of the question and then go into grades, lead, lead into the question about grades. Because the, the thing that pressures us to focus on all of these very real things that do um, objectively matter, like grades and scores and experiences, um, is the idea of our time constraint. 
that we're seeing this after senior year or for some people before senior year of kids who are on the uh, more advanced end of the spectrum um, academically and are accelerated is we're seeing like, okay, we have to have them ready by this time to do this. But what I've learned over time, not only from just all my clients over the years and seeing so many different roads and so many different paths, but now also in our own house is we can take the pressure off of the time. Someone can take a gap year. Someone can go to two or three years of community college. Someone can go learn a trade, work on their own startup, and it's still going to be okay. So all of these things, for example, if you're going to, if your child is really, for whatever reason, bombing out in high school, a bright child bombing out in high school for a variety of reasons, executive functioning, emotional, social, um, you name it, they can be done with high school and get healthy and then take community college classes and then matriculate with their community college grades, not their high school grades. Then they don't even need an ACT or an SAT. And they have actually a higher chance of getting into one of the schools that they want to matriculating with an AA than going straight from a, a high school. And so realizing that there are all of these different paths and our kids are neurodiverse, our differently wired kids need time to grow. They often need time to heal and recover from whatever their terrible schooling or social experiences were. And that impacts their development, that impacts their attention and focus and executive functioning. And so if we can take a step back and we really have to be intentional about this and aware that these are real messages that we're getting that have some truth, but we have to filter them with what are we going to do in our family and where is our child in his or her level of development and awareness and readiness right now and realize, oh gosh, there are over 5,000 colleges and universities in the United States with many of great ones with very high acceptance rates, with very nurturing environments. And it's all about, as the Stanford Success White Paper um, talks about, which is, um, excuse me, the challenge success out of Stanford. Uh, White Paper talks about it's all about fit for looking at success and well-being in the future. So yeah, grades matter, but they do. And we just have to realize, though, how much are we going to focus on the grade versus well-being and engagement? Such a good reminder. And you shared so many great ideas in that answer. And I'm taking all these notes. So even just that reminder of a gap year, I think is really important. And I know within our population, especially, I think they can be so useful. I have a friend whose uh, child took a gap year. And it just made all the difference, you know, had gotten accepted to a, a college, a university, and then just deferred for a year. And that year changed everything and helped that be a much more mm-hmm. positive experience. But, you know, in everything that you're talking about, it really is about our idea of what success looks like, right? And I always say this, you know, and I think especially with twice exceptional kids, and you know, the listeners of this podcast do not just have twice exceptional kids. But I think when you have a gifted or a two-week kid, you also, as a parent, have this idea that, well, they've got all this potential. And so we have these very high expectations for what they should, quote unquote, should achieve. So I'm wondering, because you also, you talked about your your parent footprint. You do a lot of work with parents around being really intentional about who they want to be. I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on where that rigidity around what a successful future looks like for us as parents. What are the roots of that? And and how can we go about kind of challenging that? You know, I think a lot of it comes from our fear uh, that the world is a constantly changing, unstable place, right? There's a lot of good stuff and there's a lot of stuff that's scary going on at a number of levels. And so what we do is we go back to what we feel will keep us secure and not anxious. And that is, if you get a high school diploma with a really good GPA, then you will have opportunities to get into really, really good schools, colleges. And then if you get into a really good college and you find your major, then you will get a really good job. And so that's how our generation was raised. And in our generation of growing up, it was 
mostly true. First of all, it wasn't as hard to get good grades. There wasn't the crazy AP thing going on. The college admissions percentages were not as low with, uh, you know, with the exception of some elite schools. And you could learn something in college. And whether you focused on your business degree or your econ degree or your psychology degree, you could either go into your field of study or you can go into a new field. And nowadays, it doesn't hold up uh, across the board. What we're seeing is we colleges are costing exorbitant amounts of money for people to get general educations and not necessarily have a job waiting for them on the other side. And so it doesn't, it, we have to look at, instead of the system, we have to look at our child and where is our child and what does our child need to become a solid, resilient fulfilled person. And I firmly believe that if we can focus on that, the rest will work itself out. But if you have to be aware of like, what do you want for your kids? Like, that's the question I always tell people, like, what do you want for your kids? And then back out how you're going to get there. And everyone says, well, I want my kids to be successful and happy. Okay, so what is success and what is happiness? And if success is making six figures or multiple six figures, that doesn't necessarily mean happy. We know that. Um, so it's really breaking it down with parents. And and the other thing I, I think about um, my son, who when he was young, he just turned 18. And when he was young, we were playing the game of life. And he got the opportunity to pick a house, his mansion, his, I don't know, his suburban house, his mansion, his uh, log cabin, or like this little shack. And he had all this money, and he said to me, I think he was like six, seven, something, he was young. He said, I think I'm just going to take this one because it's the cheapest. And why would I want to spend my money, all my money on a place I'm just going to sleep? <laughs> and I went, and this was a time in my life when I think we were feeling like overwhelmed with mortgage and bills. And I'm looking at this guy and thinking, how come he is so wise? And could someone have shared that with me? And fast forward to the 18-year-old artist who is still about, all it's about right now is creating and living, and it's not about stuff. Mm -hmm. And so his path, we're still trying to support his path, which at one, you know, one day it's, I'm going to take a gap here. This next day, I'm going to go to this art school. This next year, I'm going to focus on my business that I've been working on. And we're just trying to stick with them. And it's like, hey, as long as this guy's engaged in life, because we've certainly had many years related to school where that was not the case, it's like, we're good. And yeah, we got to keep the guardrails on, on, but it's like, that's very different than our other ones who are looking, you know, one's in college and one is going to be looking at college, which is a different path. And so it's like knowing that all of this is out there playing on us, but all that matters is that your child is engaged in life and feels purpose. And I feel... And just from my years of clients and, and adult work, the rest works itself out. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for limited time at ritual.com tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. 
So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60TILT at greenchef.com slash 60TILT. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. So I would love to know how we do this. So you were just talking about that our goal is to have our kids be engaged in life, to feel their purpose, and that that's really our job right now is to figure out what they need, support what they need. So what does that actually look like? How can we strike that balance between being supportive and not becoming too enmeshed or over-involved or having too much scaffolding? Do you have some words of wisdom about that? Oh, those are all the, those are all the tough questions. I think, so the first thing is, and I'm going to say this probably too many times, um, is this idea of awareness. And we need to be aware of several things. We need to be aware of what our own expectations are for our kids. We need to be aware of where they come from. And we need to be aware of what messages we're giving them. Now, I know that's kind of, that sounds big, but it, it's essential. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we worried about? What are we thinking? What is our expectation that we are putting on them? Right, wrong, or indifferent? We need to know what those are. So that's on the one side of the page, so to speak. And on the other side of the page is, who is our kid? Where are they developmentally? What are their strengths? What are their interests? What are their challenges? And what, and here this is key, what level are they invested in their own life versus just kind of being told what to do or just blowing in the wind because they don't feel they have any power or control? Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel it's this, interaction between who am I? What do I care about as a parent? What do I want for my kid? What am I telling them either verbally or non-verbally? What am I modeling for them and how I'm living my life? I'm sure we can unpack that one. And then where are they and what do we need to do to support them? So for example, this is with the timing thing. So if we have a child who's in ninth grade and is an executive, has really low executive functioning, first question, Does your child know they have executive functioning challenges? Does your child care that they have executive functioning challenges? And how can we support them in terms of getting them on board to A, care, and B, be invested in improving them for their life and for something they care about? Because if it's not linked to something that they're intrinsically motivated for, it's not going to stick and there's going to be more conflict. And often when we have conflict in the home, it just gets in the way, not only, of course, of our relationship, but it gets in the way of how we're helping our child grow in a healthy way instead of a resistance sort of way. And then, of course, there's scaffolding, but I, I could keep going on. So, yes. <laughs> there's just there's just so much yeah. here um, because, yeah. you know, even with that, you know, again, you were talking about what are they motivated about? And I think a lot of it, too, is really just tuning in and looking for windows of opportunity. So if they are struggling with executive functioning, for example, it's identifying moments where you can see, hey, this is an opportunity to 
um, slip something in or to ask if they want support in this area because you've noticed that they are coming up against themselves in working towards a goal. So we have to really be tuned into who they are and continually evaluate that, right? Like we need to always just be stepping back and saying, okay, what's going on right now? Where are their interests? Um, you know, what kind of support could they use? And then just being super connected so we can take advantage of opportunities when they arise. Right. And I'll give, again, I'll give a personal example here because that relates to the scaffolding too and, and engagement and how parenting shifts based on this is so with our um, 18 year old artist who is close to the finish line of high school, which is going to be a huge feat for all of us. And deciding between a few schools and having to do some online classes and needing to know some admissions requirements in order to figure out if he could change or drop classes or graduate from a, one of the two high schools that he's attending, he needed to gather some information. And what my wife and I felt and what guidance we were getting from particular people is, hey, let him make the phone call to talk through these scenarios with both admissions departments so he can decide and you can feel if he's engaged enough with his decision to make these other decisions. Kind of like, put this is on him. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, an artist, um, dyslexic, dysgraphic with um, executive functioning challenges. So I was taking that approach and guiding him along the way. And at one point, I just realized, you know what? He is totally working hard on catching up on his online classes. He is totally invested in all of his art projects that he's doing. He is really excited about going to one of these two schools. And he just said, I don't have time to make these calls. And I even like wrote out the questions for him. And I don't see why I need to make the call. I just need to know the information so I can make my decision. Can you do this for me? And it was interesting because I actually wanted to initially just because I wanted to help get the questions so we all could stop worrying about which way to go and all of these different things that we've been talking a lot about. But I'm like, no, no, no. I need him. It's like he needs to step up and take ownership of this. But then when I looked at the whole picture, I felt, my wife and I felt the scaffolding, all I needed to do, we knew the questions to ask, is ask these admissions people two, three questions so he had the information that he can then run with. And so, again, I'm not saying I did it right, but I'm using that as an example for everyone to know. This is an 18-year-old, and most people would say, hey, you know what? That's on them. They should do it. But when we're scaffolding and have had years of scaffolding, you just, I feel, have to be thoughtful about what's your own, like, chips in the game here, how much of it is our stuff, and how much of it is our child's development so we can help them get to that next place in a way that is somewhat collaborative as opposed to micromanaging or not doing anything at all and them floundering couple of thoughts. One is that there's also on the flip side, there are, you know, as Julie Lithcott Hames writes about in How to Raise an Adult, there are many parents who do everything up to, you know, calling college counselors and doing all of that work for totally. kids. So I think, you know, like you, I tend to want to go in the, uh, in the opposite direction and really give him, you know, Asher a lot of opportunities to do things on his own. But I had a similar situation this year. I was like, hey, man, we're in ninth grade. It's time to step up. So, you know, you do the research and tell me what activities you want to do. And then I'm happy to, you know, arrange for them. But at a certain point, he's like, I've just moved. I've got a lot going on. And I'm really stressed right now. And if you could do that research for me. And I was like, okay. And I and I really I'm so grateful that he was able to express that to me. And tell me, I was like, yeah, okay, I got that. And it made total sense. So I think it is a trial and error. And um, and hopefully our kids, I mean, just the, the ability to advocate is something a lot of kids don't know how to do. So being able to say, hey, wait, I actually need some help with this is is a huge skill. It is. And as I was going through that process, and even as I'm telling the story, it's so funny you should say uh, How to Raise an Adult, that book, because not only am I staring it on my bookshelf right now, that voice was in my head. I'm like, because she talks about all those Stanford parents. I'm like, oh my gosh, am I, I, I don't want to be that person. And that's what I was wrestling with, mm-hmm. um, which was the, am I doing too much? Am I enabling? You know, and I'm consulting with a few people to figure it out. And then in the end of the day, I just had to follow my instincts given the situation. And then once I could give him the baton from that information, he was able to run with that, right? So it was like, I knew that was 
the obstacle. But again, this isn't about right or wrong. I think it's about us trying as parents to be very aware and intentional and knowing you know what, if that one wasn't the right thing to do, like the next time we can do it different. Like we're with these kids, like there's always another parenting opportunity to do it different. And it's just about trying to assess, okay, did we handle that well? How did our child respond? Would I do it differently next time? Mm -hmm. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. But this is also really about timeline, right? It, it's it's all so interconnected that we have to always be questioning these timeline beliefs that we have. We have to always be checking in and seeing, you know, sometimes our kids make these growth leaps that we don't recognize at all. And so we're doing too much scaffolding. So it really is a ballet of sorts. And then I actually just wanted to circle back to something else you, you were talking about, which is the messages that we are sharing with our kids, whether we realize it or not. And that's something I actually just interviewed two women for the podcast about a culture of body positivity in the family. And I, you know, thought I was doing a good job of it. And even in that conversation, I'm like, gosh, there's so many messages, verbal and nonverbal that I have been giving that are not what I intended and maybe having the opposite effect. And so I think even how we respond to a grade, like, you know, even if it's a great grade, like, we have to be really conscious of the way that we are reinforcing this value system that might not be benefiting our kids. Totally. And can I can I give us a quick story about that here? I love the stories. Bring them on. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so this is so this is a different child. And it's about grades and perfectionism. So I know many of our many of our families have a little perfectionism that can run through it. And so 
one of my daughters was taking this um, very challenging online class, like a digital photography class. And the directions were really difficult and it was overwhelming to her. And so what she did, the way this online class was structured, is she kept avoiding the actual activities, but there was a lot of academic tasks. So she was avoiding the projects, avoiding the projects, avoiding the projects, and she basically found a way to do all of the academic stuff and have a C in the class and be done. Like she could get a C in the class without doing one of the digital photography <laughs> like <laughs> a- activities, which is what the class is about. And she's like, I'm not doing it. Uh, I, don't, I don't get it. I, I'm not doing it. And I said, you know, I can help you. Da, 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 da. And so she said, hey, I have a C. And dad, you say you always tell us it's not about the grade. Right. So I was like, Okay, I got to dig deep and think about that because that is true. What's my message here? Because I'm thinking, hey, do a few of these assignments and yeah, you actually can get an easy A. You know, here I am buying into the like, Mm -hmm. you're still going to have to apply to college and of all the classes you take, this is an easier A. So, but I didn't say that. I'm thinking, okay, let me think about this. Um, Talked it over with my wife a little bit and then I found what my explanation was and I said something like, hey, sweetheart, I agree with you. Mom and I do not care about your grades. We care about effort. And we've talked about perfectionism a lot. You know, you get that from me. So I get it. And the bottom line is you're not doing that stuff because you're afraid you can't do it great because you don't understand it. So you're avoiding it. So I actually don't care about your grade. What I care about is that how you can do the assignments. And honestly, if you don't even do them well, I don't care because that would be you taking on perfectionism even greater. And I'm happy to help you with the first one, but we're doing this. And I kind of, and I took a chance with that because she is strong and she is fiery and it wasn't pretty, but we did one. And then by the time I got to number two, I said for the next night, because she had this plan, I said, would you like to help? She's like, I got it. I could do it by myself. Thank you. And it was, she was able to do it. But again, it was this, especially with our perfectionistic kids, it's like, what are we focusing on? And how do we talk about about stuff outside of the grade? Because often the grade is the evaluative thing that is the the discourse about what everyone's doing. Yes. And first of all, I love that you took some time to check yourself and then go back. And I think that is just a nice reminder that we can notice and we I, I was just thinking, what are the signs that we are reacting in a way that's not in alignment with what we really believe? And we usually know that we usually feel bad after the conversation, or we notice like our body is more revved up, or you know, we've been triggered in some way. But it's it's a lovely reminder that we can leave that conversation, reflect on it, think about, okay, what do I really want to do here? And then go back and re-engage with our child and either repair the situation or problem solve and, and hopefully grow through it together. Exactly. But none of these are easy, right? These, like, <laughs> no. these especially when our kids are like pre-adolescent, adolescent, like young adults, it is so nuanced. And it's how do we be our authentic self while also trying to say the, like the right thing? It, like, it's hard to have that combination sometimes. Exactly, exactly. Um, especially as, you know, many of us and at least the moms that I know of teenagers are also going through their own complicated emotional hormonal journeys at that time, which can really confuse everything. So yes, yes, <laughs> it's complicated. Um, I want to ask you one more question. Um, and that is, if you have any thoughts around how we can best support our kids through this process and whether, you know, a lot of these kids haven't yet identified maybe an area of, of interest and there's such a pressure to discover your passion and some kids don't know what their passion is and how can we show up as the best guides for our kids so that they can kind of discover who they are? That's a great question. Let me say one thing first about the passion thing, because I love what Dr. Sylvia Rim, who's a, um, many people know as a veteran psychologist in the world of gifted. And I was at a conference with her and she gave a keynote about, I can't, it had a catchy t- title, but it was really bashing passion. And that they said, basically we have this over focus on passion these days. And I do have parents in my office who are worried that at age eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, their kids have not identified their passion yet, like worried. And what she basically said is she didn't find her passion until she was 40. 
And if she was told that if she didn't have a passion, her future was not going to be bright, it would have changed the course of her life. And she said, we have to teach kids to engage, to step up to their responsibilities. And if and when we find our passion, it's awesome. But to lead with that as a primary goal is often misguided. So I just want to say that's a really interesting way of thinking about it because I too want our kids to find what they really care about and what they're really interested in. But I think passion with a capital P is not everyone gets there and they certainly don't get there before 18. So in thinking about this question, it's a really good question, is we want our kids to be engaged in life. And again, I'm going back to the challenge success research out of Stanford. Like the number one like, like we want well-being, health and well-being and engagement. And their data shows that the number one factor of child well-being is school engagement. And that doesn't mean have to be a brick and mortar school, like just engaged in learning. And so to me, it's really about are the lights in our kids' eyes on? And a lot of us have these bright-eyed kids, and when they get to early adolescence, preteen adolescence, it starts to fade. And it could fade for hormonal reasons, for social reasons, for academic reasons. But really, it's about trying to sidle up next to them physically or actually metaphorically and help them figure out what is going on in their life so they can keep stepping in a direction that they are engaged in. And it could be a job. It could Sometimes jobs I've seen with kids, like that job becomes their place when their school situation is not that great of a place or it's their club or it's their um, a cousin or their aunt or uncle. So I feel like, again, I'm focusing it back to it's really about our kids learning about who they are in the world and being able to step into the world with some choice and with some empowerment. And if they can do that in a healthy way, it really, I don't think, it, it doesn't matter what direction they go because they're, they're building those essential ingredients to health and wellness, which is, I have choice. I can make a difference in my life and others. I can cope when things don't go my way because I have choices and I have skills. And most importantly, I have people who love me that I can count on and reach out for help when I need it. I think the rest takes care of itself. Yes. Um, gosh, this is just so good. I'm like, just so I'm just so, so happy to get to share this conversation with our audience. I don't think that we can hear these messages enough. And I just, well, you know that I just love the work that you do and your focus on intention and how we show up. And that is just so critical with these kids. And I think it's just such a nice thought to, to focus on them being engaged in life. I mean, that's all we could want for any of us, right? Right, right. So, okay. I want to know where I'd love for you to share with listeners where people can connect with you, but before that also, I don't know if you have any parting words of wisdom. You shared so much wisdom, but do you have any kind of one last thing that you want to say? One thing you want parents to be really resonating on as they turn this episode off? Yes. So I think some, something that's been really important to me in raising our kids and then also in my experience with my clients is to remember that all these moments and developmental stages are temporary. And even in the most difficult and darkest times, it is a part of overall development and it's a part of the story. So remember that it's temporary and we're not going to know the outcome of the parenting story or our child's development until they get there. And so many people talk about their past difficulties growing up and their road to becoming fulfilled, happy, engaged people. And so I just want to acknowledge that it can be so hard and so overwhelming and at times so we feel so helpless with what our kids are dealing with, but you are there guiding them. And this is one step and one chapter in the story. I love that so much. And it's uh, just such a good reminder. I was just talking with someone last week when I was out in Chicago about that I used to write books for teenagers. And I did that in part because I 
was a recovering teen and I wanted to <laughs> share with other young women, like, cause it took me so long and I, so many missteps and painful mistakes along the way. And I, and I was motivated by this idea that I want to help young women kind of skip over some of that hard stuff. So it doesn't take them till they're 30 to kind of discover who they are. But at the same time, I am who I am because of those experiences I went through. Like that's my story yes. and, and we all have our story. And so that I love that reframe that this is temporary and it, our kids are on their own journey and we need to respect their journey, not try to control it and just be there for them. Yes, totally agree. So, okay. Well, thank you so much for that. And then before we say goodbye, could you once again, let listeners know kind of the best places to engage with you. I know that you're on the the Instagram and, and where else can listeners connect with you? Yes. So um, there is Instagram, uh, Dr. Dan Peters, and there is uh, Twitter, Dr. Dan Peters. And I would say the main places to access information, what's hopefully helpful, helpful information to you all Um two main places. One is the Summit Center website, uh, www.summitcenter.us. And the other place that will have all of the uh, podcasts and other blogs and writings as well is at the Parent Footprint website, which is www.parentfootprint.com. Perfect. And listeners, as always, I will include links to all of those resources in the show notes page. So you can head over there. And Dan, Dr. Dan, I just want to say thank you. Um, always a pleasure to chat with you. And I just think this was a really fascinating conversation. I think will be helpful for many people. So thank you. Always a pleasure, Debbie. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, visit tiltparenting.com slash podcast and search for this conversation. If you like what you heard on today's episode, I would be grateful if you could take a minute to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a review. Thank you so much for helping us stay visible so people who would benefit from the show can easily find it. If you want to support the show and help me cover the cost of production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. To support the show, just visit patreon.com slash tilt Lastly, if you aren't already part of the online community at Tilt, I invite you to sign up at TiltParenting.com on the box in the bottom where it says join the revolution. Every Thursday, I send out a short email with a quick note from me, a link to that week's podcast episode, and links to five stories from the news that week that are relevant to parents like us. Again, you can sign up and learn more about Tilt at www.TiltParenting.com. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.